another episode of uh, Don the Infinite Wealth Strategist. And my guest today is John Papaloni. And I'm looking forward to this because you've got an amazing backstory. And, uh, you know, as, an, as, a, as a serial entrepreneur myself, I've started at least three startups and uh, in the middle of one right now. So uh, I'm fascinated to hear about uh, what you're doing. And, and uh, so uh, tell me about yourself. All right. Well, I actually got three things going on. I'm, and okay. it's funny that we're talking today because I'm in the middle of a rebrand. Like I'll, I'll start off with, I have a media company, which focuses on helping other people. Um, in particular, my clientele are realtors and mortgage brokers. And the main reason is because that's the kind of business I'm in. Right. So where I'm going with this is that, uh, so I help them with content creation, marketing, and um, and podcasts. So that, that's my Papaloni Media. Now, okay. I'm a realtor by trade, by by default, right? So that's that's my main thing, my main business, the right. you know what I've been doing for the last seven years, right. and I'm in the middle of a rebrand into um, what, what, what like a rename, a rebrand, and everything. I'm I'm part of the Royal Page uh, umbrella, uh-huh. but uh, my uh, group name is uh, Investors Outlook Group. It uh, I was going originally under Papaloni Team, or I just my name like every other realtor. Right. Um, I spent the last few years like i would say the last three years where the 70 percent of my business was agent to agent referral Mm -hmm. and um we're in a down market or a slower market because of interest rates and everything so you know in those times people get desperate because their mortgages are still due Mm -hmm. so the uh i will never drive to xyz becomes the uh i'm in the area you're around for a coffee so if i wait around to see the result of that Mm-hmm. I will be out of business real quick. Yeah. So I looked at it and says, okay, so 70% of my business has been realtor to realtor uh, referral. Well, what's the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Well, I have the odd person buying a home like here and there or selling a home, but uh-huh. the majority of it, other than that, has been uh, investors and mm-hmm. I'm really good at it, yep. right? So it's one of those things that, you know what? So that's how I came up with it. Like my... Uh, like I, I came up with that because I had to choose a focus. I'm good at that. And which brings up the third company I have, which is the one I don't promote because it's worth it for person to person really. Right. Like, I mean, right. it's a uh, Papaloni capital mm-hmm. and I, and what we do is basically buy, uh, you know, investment properties. And I do it like with a joint venture with other people or people uh-huh. want to, you know, it's for people who do not want to uh, be involved in the day-to-day uh, investment part of uh, real estate. And they would rather just uh, say, I, I got 50 grand or I got a hundred grand to invest, you know, you figure it out. So okay. they, uh, and that's really what it does. So I just do joint ventures with people to buy properties and then rental units and stuff like that. So that's where, where that feeds now with, uh, the realtor thing. Right. So I thought since I'm already doing that for myself mm-hmm. and, and obviously I'm learning the numbers and all that for my own business, uh-huh. why not, uh, why not, uh, go all in on this? Right. So right. That, that's how we came up with the investors outlook group. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so tell, me, tell me about that. Yeah, our, our slogan is investment focused realtors. So uh-huh. love it, right? Like it's uh yeah. and I'm in the middle of the so my my official launch of that rebrand will be in January. Oh, okay. Um but uh, yeah, like uh so the purpose of that obviously is real estate. So we're helping investors. I got a lot of investor clients already. Uh-huh. And uh, whether they invest on their own and use me as the realtor, whether they're a part of me, right? My group, whatever. So I figured now is a great opportunity. Like a lot of times there's with every tragedy, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity. Yeah. With every triumph, there's a tragedy. Yeah. So, previously, we had 
low interest rates. Mm -hmm. And that was the triumph. Mm -hmm. The tragedy was there was so much demand and so little inventory right. that you had to win a lottery for your right. offer to go through. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Now you can get a place, but you're going to pay interest rates to get it. And the way I look at it is that, and this is the way I explain it to people and, so, and tell people, you had an option. You're going to buy that house and you're going to pay $100,000 regardless, more. So you can either pay the $100,000 to the seller mm -hmm. and get that low interest rate, or you're going to pay the $100,000 in interest to the bank. Right. Either way, you're paying the $100,000. Mm -hmm. So... Now, the way I looked at it, which one is better? Mm -hmm. Well, default, you want to say, pay the 100 grand to the seller. That's the better option, right? Because right. he's a working person, just like you're a working person. The banks make enough money. Right. If you're going to take the full 25 or 30 years to pay off your mortgage, 100%, mm -hmm. I agree. Right. But if you're very, very inclined to pay that mortgage off mm -hmm. and you're going to do it in 10 to 15 years, mm -hmm. I'd rather pay the bank. Right. And my reasoning is it's a hundred grand that we're talking about if you're paying it over that 25, 30 year term. Mm -hmm. But if you pay it off sooner, yeah. you're paying less interest. Right. But you can't pay off your mortgage sooner and say, hey, Mr. Seller, I paid it off in half the time. Can I get 50 of that hundred back? Right. That'll never happen. Right. Now, so now the irony part here is that, uh, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite here, <laughs> as uh and I used to promote buy homes, you know, move in. It's better than paying rent. You know, right. the same old realtor story that every other realtor will say that right. makes that makes them think that of themselves as a genius. Mm -hmm. And um, and reality is now I'm the opposite. I'm saying now, don't get me wrong. Like I'll get into the, the why I'm the, the opposite in a minute, but I'm the opposite now. You should not buy a single family home as your first home, mm -hmm. not to live in it at least. Right. You're like everyone says the home I live in is my uh, investment and it's my biggest asset. Right. Um, yes, it's your biggest asset, asset, but it's not your biggest investment. Right. Um, because what ends up happening is it's an expense. Right. And a lot of people are going to be falling off their chairs when I'm saying this, but it's the truth because you buy this house, you got the mortgage, you're mm -hmm. paying interest on the mortgage, you're paying property taxes, mm -hmm. you're paying uh, utility bills. Mm -hmm. You're paying maintenance and repairs, right? And you're getting absolutely jack crap for income, right? So, therefore, how can it be an investment and an income uh -huh. if you collect zero dollars? Because an investment is something you collect off of. Mm -hmm. So, now I know we're going to say, "Oh, go live in a rental," you know, and that's better. In this circumstance, yes. If mm -hmm. if keyword here is if you're looking at it as an investment perspective. Right. Because what you would do is you would go out and buy a property that you're going to rent out for $4,000 a month, mm -hmm. and you're going to rent something for $2,200 a month. Mm -hmm. And that's going to give you an $1,800 difference Right. as an example. Now, mm -hmm. it may not be those exact numbers. You got to, Every area is different. Every opportunity is different. And you have to compare what works in your area. Now, working with a professional realtor who's investment focused mm -hmm. will know those numbers and know how to figure that out for you. Right. Be able to show you. Now, I believe even single family homes are a shitty part of my language investment as well. But what I believe in no bank in the right mind 
is going to finance somebody on their very first purchase with a multifamily home that sells in the millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. So, and here's where the difference is when you're buying a multiplex, uh, six units and above that's considered uh-huh. commercial. Yep. And with commercial, it's ba- the approval isn't based on your income. Mm-hmm. It is based on the performance of the building. Yep. But th- like I said, they're not going to randomly give random people money like that to buy investment properties when they have no experience in it. Mm-hmm. So the reason I suggest getting into that single family home, like a bungalow or a ranch yep. um, as your first property is because you could rent out the upstairs and rent out the downstairs as a separate unit. Mm-hmm. And by having that, you have two incomes coming in, right. which is the same reason I don't like single family homes because all you can get is one or two incomes yep. per property. So if somebody doesn't pay you, you're using your hard earned money to put in versus the rental income to pay. Right. Where you have a multiplex, more than likely, if one person doesn't pay, mm-hmm. in those couple of months that it, it's going to take for you to you know, get them out, yep. you're at least paying your mortgage and not out of your pocket. Because more than likely that one rent is your income, you know, your cash flow. Right. So you're losing your cash flow, but at least you're not on the street. True. So that's one of the reasons I like it. And, but again, you have to start off. So by having that single family home with the two rents, Uh you now have built up some form of investment that's paying you Uh and you can eventually buy two of them and have two of them. And you could show the banks that you have two properties that you are managing and you have experience now as a landlord. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you can list those two properties, sell them at the appreciated value, which will give you a bigger down payment for that multiplex. Mm-hmm. And when you buy that multiplex, you now have past experience, which will help you get that approval. Right. And at that point, when you have the multiplex, the multiplex will give you cash flow. And when you have enough cash flow, you can then buy your personal property to move in and let the cash flow from the investment pay your bills on the single family home that you live in. Mm -hmm. And there's the best way to start your real estate adventure. So when you advise your clients to do this, uh, are you, are you looking for discounted properties, distressed properties? Are you just saying find something on MLS and just keep it simple, stupid? This depends on the uh, client themselves. Okay. Um, most of, like I said, my actual investor clients yep. are looking for the best deal, right? right? And the best deal means what brings in the best cash flow, right? And sometimes off off market properties, mm-hmm. wholesaling may be that better opportunity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're lucky and somebody wants to get rid of it and they put it on the MLS because yep. they want to get rid of it quickly. Right. Now, one way, one tip and trick for anybody watching is look for estate sales yep. on the MLS mm-hmm. because people who are inheriting don't have the blood, sweat, equity mm-hmm. into the property. Mm-hmm. So they want to unload it and pay as little taxes as possible mm-hmm. and just unload it, get rid of it quickly, which is why they're not wholesaling it and trying to get people to buy it because they know they're going to lose some value by selling it to those direct purchase people because when it's not on the MLS, when you go on the MLS, the reason realtors go on the MLS, because you get more money for your property. 
Sure. But again, a state sale is still quick, fast turnaround. So as long as you go in there prepared with a pre-approval for a mortgage, so you know what you can afford and get approved on, you can go in and still offer them a deal. Mm-hmm. Like like a you know if a property is listed for eight hundred thousand, maybe offer them seven twenty, right? As an example, and that might have an opportunity because you're gonna have a quick closing, you have your finances in order, mm-hmm. and you're ready to go. Where everyone else going in with the realtor are coming in with a bunch of conditions. Mm-hmm. Has, so that, that might- has that has that worked in the last couple of years when we've had such high appreciation? This is the key thing before. And let, let's be clear, the last two years were not normal times. I know, I know. You know I mean? um, and, and the last two years, you can sell a bag of poop mm-hmm. and get a million dollars for it. Right. It was just ridiculous and crazy. Yeah. So, no. Um, and in the last two years, before the interest rates went up, yeah. any clients I had who said they were going to sell it privately, mm-hmm. I did not hold back. I called them a moron. Yeah. Because they were morons. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason is uh, people do off market because they don't want bids. They don't want the price to go up. Right. And there is no benefit the last two years to not taking that offer because I know quick closing, but we were selling homes in 72 hours, mm-hmm. sometimes in 24 hours. Oh, yeah. So, there is no advantage to the seller to take that off market right. offer. Right. What what areas of the country you fo- you focus in? I'm in the greater Toronto Hamilton area. Okay. All right. How's that up? To, I mean, what would you say is the biggest difference that you've seen in the Canadian uh, your market in Canada as opposed to down here in the states? Um, there is the biggest difference from my market to the states. Oof right now there's not much of a difference they're both going the wrong way um (laughs) where i noticed is that um here's a major difference and this is going to come in with the financing Mm -hmm. is that um you cannot get the same kind of deal in canada Mm -hmm. that you can get in the united states yeah um we have what's called a stress test Mm -hmm. and what that has done is already pre-qualified people for the higher interest rate when they got the lower interest rate. This was to prevent people from overbuying Mm -hmm. while interest rates are low and then getting quashed out of the market when what just happened, happened. Mm -hmm. They've already determined you can afford the extra $200 a month. Right. So with that being said, I think we'll have less foreclosures. Mm -hmm. Not to say that we will have zero, Right. We just have less. And where the foreclosures here work and where the foreclosures in the States work, here's the difference. Mm -hmm. If you have an $800,000 home Mm -hmm. and you're owed $500,000 to the bank, Mm -hmm. in the United States, the bank can take it and sell it for that $500,000 plus whatever fees they have. And they can take auctions for. (laughs) And that's exactly the point. Yeah. Right, so you can get it. So you can actually have a chance of getting that five eight hundred thousand dollar property for four hundred thousand, and the bank may write off that hundred thousand just to get it over with, so they don't have to continually pay the bills with no income. Right. In Canada, that is not possible. Mm. Uh, our current government, when he first came in eight years ago or six years ago, whatever it was, 
Yeah. He changed the legislation and made it so that the banks are forced to sell it at market value. Interesting. So even if you have a $500,000 mortgage and wow. you offer the bank 500000 by our laws, they have to say no. So they would have to say sell it for the $800,000 that it's worth. Right. Which is also why it is easier <clears throat> to get financing in the United States than it is to get in Canada. I right. mean, all things being the same. Right. Because when you go to the bank and say, you have my asset, they will tell you we're not in the housing business. Right. And that is one of the reasons because they know they can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And if that value is 800000 and it takes a year, they're going right. to hold on to that and pay all the bills for one right. year. Right. Where in the United States, you have the opportunity to unload it and stop the damage. Right. Do you, do uh, forgive my ignorance, but, uh, you know, my, you know, the podcast you're on is Don, the short sale guy. So I'm just curious, <laughs> as someone who's done short sales for 20 years, uh, do you have short sales in Canada? Um, rarely, almost never because of that legislation. Now, what could happen, and this does happen, this is why I said rarely, Right. is sometimes what ends up happening is a person's not behind on their bills, mm -hmm. but they're a month or two away from being behind, mm -hmm. and they value their credit rating, Yeah. and they want to get out and save their credit rating so they can recoup in future mm -hmm. a lot quicker. Right. So sometimes what will happen is the value of the home is 800000 Mm -hmm. We're going to use that mortgage is 500,000. Right. Sometimes they will take 675,000, which basically means they're not even going to get their money back when you calculate the down payment of what they put in, but they might break even or just get a little bit of money back, but they will take that to save their credit, mm -hmm. right? Versus waiting for the bank to take it. Right. Were you in, were you in real estate back in the great recession? Um, how, what year was that? I believe 2008, nine, 10, you know, when, when, the, when the financial markets crashed. See, that was different uh, for us as well, because in 2008, yeah. we did not feel it. Really? You, there was yeah. no toxic mortgages in, in Canada? There was basically a one month pause where everyone was waiting to see what was going to happen here, but we were not affected any other way. Oh, good for you. I'm going to move to Canada. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bloodbath down here, but I made millions of dollars in that bloodbath, so I'm not... I'm not unhappy about it for my selfish reasons, but yeah. yeah. Overall, well, that was one of the reasons that, that our government put in our new rules. After mm -hmm. that happened uh, in 2008 with you guys, yeah. our government came in and says, before we get to this level, uh -huh. we got to put a stop to this. And that's where they introduced what we call that stress test, where right. to get that 3% mortgage, you had to qualify as if the mortgages were five and a half. Right. Right. So that's why they put that in. So to prevent people from borrowing the max. Mm -hmm. And then that's when they put in the legislation where the banks could not do the short sales. Right. So, you, so I mean, we had a very, very steep drop in prices and so many people were upside down. Uh, you didn't, so Canada didn't, ex didn't experience that upside down phenomenon with their, with their uh, property values? Not in 2008. Have they ever in your experience? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. We had a bloodbath in 89. Oh, back in the day. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and um, even now, like even though reality is it's not as big and bad as people think it is, uh -huh. considering what we're used to, right? It's a bit devastating. Now, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. The homes in my area, and uh, which is where I'm living right now, is a town called Grimsby, mm -hmm. and the average detached home mm -hmm. uh, that's about twenty two hundred to twenty five hundred square feet 
was uh, going for 1.35 to 1.45 million dollars mm-hmm. with the interest rates at three percent. Right. Today, when they're uh, roughly about five and a half to 5.75, mm-hmm. that same area is now selling for 950,000 to a million and 50. Wow. So that's basically a 30% drop. Yeah. We're, I'm in Florida. We're seeing that a lot in the last five, six months. Yes. We're yeah. starting to see some serious depreciation. But, you know, because I'm a short sale investor, we're still not seeing the uh, inc- increase in people being upside down as much just because the values appreciated so much that we still got a ways to go. In fact, I think if this trend continues, you know, I think that my short sale business will come out of mothballs and really get uh, back in the back in the saddle. Maybe by the end of maybe by the, towards the summer of 2023. Uh, but 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 overall, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll give an example. We have a uh, property that's not a short sale, but we have it as a listing because I, I have a broker partner I work with. I'm a licensed agent, but mine's inactive because I just do you know I do investing on the side. But anyway, uh, we have it listed and it appraised at 311. But we've not been able to find any offers, even the range of 265, 270. So that's a huge, that's a huge uh, um, uh, decrease in price. And you know, it's a challenge to explain this to the to the homeowners who still are six to eight months behind in their perception of the market. And we said, look, look, the seller's market's over. Yeah, and there may be certain pockets in certain parts of the country, but overall, we are on a downward slide right now. As far as pricing goes, we're definitely in a depreciating market, and whether that turns into a you know a complete buyer's market, we'll we'll see. But it's on its way. Were you, were you in? A, I mean, I remember. I'm fifteen. I'll be fifty nine in in February. I remember how challenging real estate was, even though I just graduated high school. But I was I I was started dabbling in real estate in my when I was nineteen, twenty, twenty one, mid eighties, when you had interest rates that were like 18 percent. Yes. I mean, I remember we used to dream of the, of, you know, will we will ever get down to 10, you know, <laughs> and, and I just think that there's a whole generation of people that are in real estate that have never experienced that. Like, yeah, what, what, absolutely what, right. Absolutely right. See, the one unique thing that you're experienced now, like mm-hmm. what you're talking about now, mm-hmm. here is the dilemma and why it's not going down that quick. Right. We are in a recession. I don't care what they tell you. We're in a recession. We've been in a recession for a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's spiraling out of control. Um, they're not being honest about the employment rate. I believe that wholeheartedly. How can uh, Meta fire 11,000 people? Amazon fires 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter, half the staff left. Uh, you calculate all this on unemployment, but yet the unemployment is still low. Yeah, yeah. right. In what country? Um, but anyways, that's just my perspective. And the issue we're having is this recession isn't a typical recession where people are receding back because of uh, normal job loss and uh, normal uh, circumstances. Like they got over indebted and, you know, they caused it to themselves and, you know, they're just the, the demand is not there. Right. It yeah. is basically this is a response to the last two year pandemic that we've had yeah. with the overspending from our government not our people. Mm -hmm. And now the government is trying to control inflation and get their crap back together and therefore passing the buck to the people with the higher interest rates. Right. And it is the main, main source of this recession is a supply chain issue. Mm 
They have not solved that problem. There is still half the shelves that are empty. Mm-hmm. And when they're trying to attack one portion of the problem without addressing the other side of the problem, that isn't coming up with a great resolution. Mm-hmm. The issue with the housing market, and this is where I was going with it, mm-hmm. is that I'll use Canada as an example because I'm sure the, the, you know, the states is similar. We Right now, we have 500,000 new immigrants, mm-hmm. and we had a shortage of homes without them. Mm-hmm. So when you add 500,000 immigrants, and you didn't have enough homes without them being there, mm-hmm. that means the demand is still there. Mm-hmm. It's just the supply is a problem. Right. In um, 2020 and 2021, right. our average sales, number of homes sold, were uh, 121 to 124,000 homes sold in Ontario alone. That's just one province. Right. Um, where now we're projecting to be about 69,000. Mm-hmm. But the demand is still like the demand we have and the need for housing, we would have to produce 170 to 180,000 homes, but yet we're only producing 70. Mm-hmm. So the demand is still there. The issue is affordability. Yeah. So with that being said, rents have increased yep. and rents are astronomical. What used to rent for $2,100 a month is mm-hmm. now currently renting between $2,800 and $3,300 a month. Yeah. And uh, there has been bidding wars on the rents. Well, it's going on in Florida too. I and mean, you see what I mean? How I said we're kind of... Landlords are, are uh, openly saying, if you want, if you want the the lease, pay pay a years in advance. You know, See? and people are paying it. They're paying it. Yeah, crazy. And that, and that, which goes to prove that the demand is still there. It's the supply that's a problem. Yeah, and that's a, and, and affordability is the main. Next down thing. here, down here, the, the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium that was a huge break and so you had so many properties that would have been on the market are were not on the market and you know and, and even even now even though the foreclosure moratorium was was lifted you know a lot quite a while ago but they're still trying to do forbearances or trying to help people stay in those so so it's still delayed you know it's interesting that um i found that when i was when we were going through the great recession down here you know you to until obama actually took um uh, actually, he came in. You know, his administration came in in two, in two thousand nine. You know, the first part of it, two thousand eight, that was still a Republican, you know, Bush administration. They were more laissez-faire attitude when it came to foreclosures. They were just moving them through the pipeline. And then the Obama administration made a decision to try to keep people in the homes. I felt like that was well. I understood the the sentiment behind it. I felt like that all that did was just extend the misery because people were in upside down houses they could not afford and 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 they did not force the banks to forgive principal so i mean what can you do when you're a hundred thousand dollars upside down you can only put so much on the back end of a mortgage you can only you can only extend so far you know you know go from a 30 to a 40 things like that and ultimately all it did was just you know like i said it just delayed the inevitable and in some ways, it was like you know ripping a Band-Aid off. It's better if you rip it off as opposed to just barely, you know, every single hair hurts and so forth. And that was a phenomenon that we had here. And, and I think that in some ways, it's interesting because it was both administrations this time. I mean, the Trump administration yeah. 
also, you know, they're the ones that declared the moratorium, right? They're the ones that, that were trying to keep people in, and then it continued in the Biden administration. So you basically had two parties that had a similar strategy in a sense, and I just don't feel like I mean, that that was a, one of the major causes of the fact that we had such a supply demand in housing was these properties, distressed properties, were not there. There's millions of properties that just were not allowed to come on the market, which created this a large extent, I think, an artificial bubble. Yes. And that, that's a United States phenomenon. Again, I'm, I'm hearing it's different in, in Canada, but I know that was a huge contributing uh, factor. And I'm watching to see if we're going to see more and more and more houses come on the market that are distressed and right. see what happens to the market then. See, now I got to, yeah. All right. Now you got the, you got the, you touched my nerve on this one here. I, I think they handled that one completely wrong. I think the problem has been for the last 20 years that every government come that comes in yeah. is only putting on band-aids to the problem and they just keep adding more and more and more band-aids. The problem is there's so many damn band-aids on the, on the problem that it's now they're starting to fall off yeah. and now they're trying to react to the band-aids that they put on. Right. And now I would look, if you had done what the banks have done, mm -hmm. aside from being charged for some form of fraud and going to prison, they would have not let you off the financial burden. They would have let you go bankrupt or yeah. made you paid even if you are bankrupt in some form right. or way. Mm -hmm. Where that administration decided to bail out the rich people who basically took advantage of the poor people by giving them stuff that they could not afford and pulled scandals on them. Well, and it's interesting how it worked, like I said, because you know, in each case you had you know, a Republican administration and then a Democratic administration, they both basically do the same thing. You know, no, no, no. But, but where I'm going with this is I right. agree with you. Uh, right. What I'm saying is that it didn't matter which one did it. Right. They made the wrong choices is where I'm well, going. I agree 100%. And, yeah. and what should have happened was that, look, like I said, I'm out of money. I'm bankrupt. I'm bankrupt. Too friggin' bad. You should have thought of that. Right. And why I said it's not that rich people take advantage of poor people. I don't mean right. it in that way. But I mean, I'm saying in this circumstance, right. they're loaning money for their own commissions, for their own greed, uh -huh. when they know the person they're loaning money has no chance of ever paying that back. Right. And that's what I mean by it. If they had loaned a fair and square mortgage, you had your job, you qualified, and you properly qualified, and stuff happened, then stuff happens. Right. Right. Like, that's okay, because that's following that normal rules. Right. By extending something knowing that the train is coming and it's going to hit at some point in time. Right. That's a bit much. Now you should take responsibility for that. So those bankers should have been left bankrupt and let them go bankrupt. Let the homeowners have the home. Right. Right. Maybe reduce the mortgage to something that was manageable. If you have a $300,000 mortgage, maybe make that $300,000 mortgage, a $150,000 mortgage. Right. And then this way, everybody takes a little bit of the, uh, pain from that and i think the fallout would have been less harmful than the what they chose instead they chose to make the rich bankers who took yeah. advantage rich again mm -hmm. by the taxpayer dollars well yeah but when you have <laughs> i don't know who has more influence the attorneys or, or the bankers when it comes to government policy but uh you know that's that's what we ended up with and we're still in some ways we're still feeling feeling the effects of that those decisions back in 2008 and 9 and it's just crazy. I mean, are you want? Are you? It seems to be a developing uh, camp of people that are saying 
what's coming is going to be worse than 2008, 9, and 10. Other people say, no, 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 you're exaggerating. Where are you at personally in, in, in that scenario? I think that's going to be based on individuality. Yeah. I think that the people who are in trouble mm -hmm. are going to be far worse than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. The ones that were a little bit more cautious and more prepared will find the opportunity so they won't feel it as bad. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's going to be an in-between. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's a lot of life choices, a lot of fallouts that are going to happen from those life choices. Mm -hmm. Like when we went through COVID and we were locked down, mm -hmm. we had choices to make. Mm -hmm. And we could choose to look at it as free money being passed around. Mm -hmm. Or we could choose to look at it and say, this is an opportunity to evaluate where we are in life, where we're going and what we can do with this. Mm -hmm. Money was being passed around right. like it fell off trees. Yeah. And that means the people who claim they did not have opportunity now have opportunity. Right. It's a matter of whether they utilized it or squandered it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so now, you know, now it's time to pay the piper and, and, and make all those uh, repayments, whether it's through sweat equity whether it's through loss, whether whatever, it's going to happen. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't uh, see 2008 was a massive, basically a massive dump that happened and it happened to everybody. Just not everybody was affected, but everybody got to see it. Yeah. I mean, or, it was a great year for me. Yeah. <laughs> I made yeah. money in three years and I made in 10 in general, because of that. So, I mean, because I know how to make money in the down market. But right. like, I, mean, I know most most investors got killed. Yes. Uh, and that's the point, right? And that, that that's what I mean. Where this one here, all this was foreseeable, mm -hmm. right? So this was completely preventative. Mm -hmm. And now it's just a reaction to the choices where the last time you just got the crap dumped on you and you had to deal with it. Um, there will be people out there that I'll go around and say, oh, we're in a recession and they're going to look at me and go, what recession? What are you talking about? Right. And then there'll be other people that turn around and says, huh, you just noticed we've been in it for the last 10 years. No, we haven't. But <laughs> it's just some people just step in the shit and don't know how to get out of it. Right. Cause it's the same pattern, same choices, same everything. Um, and again, also depends on where you are. And, and like, look, what's being removed, and this is my opinion, is the middle class. Yeah. I think uh, the middle class is either learning how to get rich or they're going bust. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, this is just another step towards that. Well, they're barely hanging on by having two jobs and a side hustle and they're treading water and they're getting tired and they're starting to they can barely keep their nose above the, 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 the water. And exactly which is now is now is the time to find the opportunity yeah. to get off that treadmill yeah i agree i mean i teach people all the time i mean one of the um one of the things that i do in addition to real estate investing is i've been really promoting uh people to get a trust because i don't know if you ever i i know that there's probably have some equivalent in canada but this is called a non-grantor irrevocable complex discretionary spendthrift trust and the idea is that you know, anyone, you can't help 
salaried employees on this, but there's a lot of people that aren't salaried employees. And taxes are one of the biggest uh, leaks in a profit bucket. And so by using these strategies with this trust, you know, clients that I, I work with are like anything with capital gains taxes, anything with uh, passive income, you know, that those, those capital gains taxes are deferred. And then you can also take, if you have ordinary income, you can convert that into um, passive income for the trust and, and 90, up to 97% of that can be deferred uh, forever as long as the trust is in, is in, uh, is, is, is in existence. And if you think about that, if you're talking about, you know, surviving or thriving, 32% is a big chunk. Yeah. If you think about that. And it's, I think you're right. Now is the time to prepare because you may not feel it if you're doing well, like say in real estate investing, there's so many people out there that are doing Airbnbs, you know, they're, they're doing arbitrage, you know, they, they've been riding this way for quite a while. That wave's dissipating now. And now we're turning a little bit of an undertow happening. And so um, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to, talking to people until I'm blue in the face. A lot of people get it and they become my clients, but a lot of people don't. And I said, I've seen this movie before. I mean, I got involved in real estate in, here in, in the early 2000s. And it's, it's, isn't it funny how people don't have any institutional memory about what yeah, happened yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. before, 20 years before? I remember the market was almost as hot as it has been the last two or three years. And nobody saw it coming. I saw it. I got liquid. I refused to have any money in any properties. I got liquid and I waited. And so then once once it started, of course, with my short sale expertise, I mean, I was getting three, two, uh, three, two and four, one, four, two houses negotiated down to twenty thousand dollars on a short sale that now go for five hundred thousand. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. that's what I mean. But that, that was just but that just shows you the scale of devastation that was going on in the real estate market. I tell you what, John, mo I'm not going to say most, but I would say a huge chunk of the market were investors. They were the ones losing their shirts because they only knew buy and hold. And they, their, their, their business model did not work when there was no appreciation. Well, see, this is where I differ a bit. I agree with you to a point. Okay. Um, and what I mean is I believe in the buy and hold myself. Right. I'm talking about back then. Even back then, the issue wasn't the buy and hold. The yeah. issue was that they over leveraged themselves. Too too many people 100%. want to buy ten 100%. properties, yeah, and me, they qualify me, for two. <laughs> let me clarify. Let me clarify. Okay, they were trying to do one hundred percent financing. They were trying to just get the property at all costs. They weren't worried about cash flow. Yeah, no, no, no. Everything I believe in my buy and hold principle, yeah, revolves around cash flow. Yes. If it doesn't produce cash flow, right, it's a crap asset. It's got to go. Right. Right, so if it produces cash flow, buy and hold. You agree with me that one hundred dollars of my cash flow was not cash flow? No, no, yeah. that's popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so um, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm not saying that I, I'm going to enjoy what happens, but I'm not afraid because I know how to make money in a down market. I've done it once; I'll do it again. Uh, it's just that from, from just stepping back a little bit and saying, okay, what's going to happen here? You know. I think that you know we don't have any toxic mortgages for the most part, but unemployment's coming. I mean, we like to think that okay, well, we recover from COVID. Well, 
you know, there's so many low paying jobs that go in as employment, but you're not making it. And inflation is the cancer that takes away so much disposable income. And when people can't, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but here in the U.S., consumer spending is the main engine of our economy. And when people stop spending, pe- businesses start laying people off. Yes. And, you know, and that's coming, in, in my opinion. do you, What's your opinion about that? I think people are ready here. The businesses are not even waiting. Look, Meta yeah. hasn't lost money with the exception of whatever bull crap they went through. Amazon right. isn't losing money with, ex- you know what I mean? Like, like right. for all intents and purposes, they're, in terms of sales, forget the stock market. And in terms of sales, they have not lost money. They're still making money. Why did they lay off 10,000 people? Mm-hmm. Referring to Amazon. Yes. They did it in anticipation yes. of what's coming. So in our past recessions, they used to wait till they were losing money before they cut. They're right. not even doing that. They're turning around and looking at the inflation's eight percent, spending's going down. Fire these people. Right there, done. Haven't even lost it. So now, right now, for all intents and purposes, they're making even more money because they haven't seen the pullback yet. Yeah. So and that's coming. I agree with you, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And here's the thing, right? We're talking about because COVID was a virus. Yes. So let's talk about viruses. The problem is everyone's treating this mm-hmm. as if. This is the virus that we're going through. Mm-hmm. And when reality, the only thing we have seen up till now is the symptoms. We haven't gotten the virus yet. Mm-hmm. Right? So when this comes in full-blown shape, mm-hmm. that will be too late. Yeah. And, and this is why all the warning signs are here. When you have somebody like Warren Buffett saying, I'm not investing, I'm yep. keeping money liquid. Yep. Right? Ray Dalio used to say cash is trash. And I think in the last two months he's been saying, "Hold on to the cash." Yeah, yeah. Really? I'm I'm as liquid now as I was in 2006, and uh, I I made that decision as well. I just said this is just crazy. Uh, you know, it's it's artificial. And okay, so put on your put on your white coat and your stethoscope. And you're going to be a real estate MD, okay? And you're going to okay. So you got you got the economy here. You've got real estate investors. They're on the table saying, "Doc, what do I do?" What is your what is your take on what they should do? Okay, here. What's going to be happening? Perfect. Well, well, here's what my 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 thought exactly. If you're living in a single family home mm-hmm. and you don't want can't afford to get rid of it now, mm-hmm. move into your basement and rent out your upstairs. Okay. So then you get some form of cash flow that will ease the burden of what's coming. Right. You don't need both floors. You can make do. Mm-hmm. So. If you have a ridiculous mortgage Mm -hmm. and you're living check to check to check Mm -hmm. and even a dollar increase will put you into negatives and make you rely on credit cards, Mm -hmm. then list it. List it very soon and very fast. Mm -hmm. If you are in a place and you have just say $100,000 sitting in the bank, you're making money and have money left over to save right now. Well, after paying your mortgage and bills, just hang tight. Mm -hmm. If you have an opportunity where you have cash in the bank and you're living with mommy and daddy where you don't have bills Mm -hmm. or you have very minimal bills and you have the opportunity to get into an investment, Mm -hmm. then get into an investment property. Mm -hmm. Do it with a joint venture so you're sharing the burden so it's not all squeezed. Right. So get two to three people to do it together. Maybe mm-hmm. buy a triplex or a fourplex, 
have them all four units rented out. Mm -hmm. So then what ends up happening is your rent will pay your mortgage and your income will be your backup. Mm -hmm. And then you continue living the way you're doing. Do not invest in stocks. Do not invest in crypto. Do not invest in NFTs. Mm -hmm. um, don't keep your money lying around in a checking account because you will spend it. Yep. So I recommend mm -hmm. that you do put it in an investment property, but do it in something you can handle. Mm -hmm. Not something that if you lose your job, you're up shit's creek. Right. Do it where you have a buffer, at least a year's worth of buffer. If you mm -hmm. have a year's worth of buffer, then you are safe to invest. And I'm, when I say a year's worth of buffer, I mean after you use the money to invest, right. not including. Yes. So you should put in your down payment, get your rental unit, mm -hmm. and then still have a year of no issues, which you do not spend. Maybe put right. that into a savings account or an account that takes a lot of effort to get the money back. Right. And at that point in time, you go on living and wait for the market to find itself so you mm -hmm. can see where the long-term traje trajectory is. Right. And once you know where the long-term trajectory is, you can consider spreading yourself out again and getting more. I agree with you 100%. I think I think that's I think we are two like-minded people here right now and uh maybe that's why I mean you've got, you know, you can see my gray hair, I can't can't see yours but uh, <laughs> but uh, we've been around the block a few times as they say, right? So, yeah. um I really appreciate you coming on. This has been I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been great. Um mm -hmm. so everybody, I'm going to make sure that we have John's information in the description of our podcast and the YouTube video and please reach out to him if you have any questions. Uh, he's a great resource. And, you know, they, there's a saying that says the uh, um, the surest uh, way of I'm paraphrasing here, but the surest way of judging someone's intelligence is the degree they agree with you. So I would say he's one of the most intelligent people I've met today because we, we could agree about a lot of things here. So uh, but thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I, I really want to have you on again. Uh, few months down the road. Let's see. Let's, let's re, re, uh, see where we're at then. And uh, that's great. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.